Welcome to the CMC Podcast, where our mission is to inspire you to be a doer of the word. Today's message is brought to you by our guest speaker. Welcome to church. Y'all, I'm pumped. I've been pumped for weeks, and Jason has gotten the brunt of it, and I, now you will. Uh, I'm excited. I, um, first of all, I'm grateful, and I'm humbled to even be up here because uh, my husband, Jason, and I, we met here, we got married here, we've been raising our children here, and uh, we've just been able to sit under this ministry and gain wisdom and knowledge from so many amazing leaders and people and have been a part. And so to even be able to share this stage at all with the leaders who have come up and just spewed wisdom is really humbling. And I'm really grateful, so thank you, Pastor Tim, for even allowing me this opportunity. Um, Pastor Tim, two Sundays ago, wrapped up the series on parables and just so perfectly teed up what I'm talking about and didn't even know it. And so it was perfect. And so if you have not gone to listen to that, I want to encourage you to go do that. It's incredible. What I want to do is tee up the next series that we're doing on the Sermon on the Mount purely by talking about the Word. And that's what we're gonna talk about tonight. So I'm excited to get into it. As I've been studying this deeper and, um, and praying, there's a word that I've been hearing. And I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but when the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, you kind of see a phrase or a word all the time, even out of context. That's what's been happen- happening to me as I've been studying this further. And the word that I keep hearing is unity. And I believe so strongly that God is unifying believers. He is unifying the church in a time where we can come up with our own truth if we want to and it's okay. I believe God is bringing us back to one central truth in his word. We, what's so cool is that we're all created differently. We all have different, we all come from different walks of life, different perspectives. We look different, we dress different, we act different, different personalities. And that's the beauty of the church. It's, that's beautiful. But what I believe God is wanting to do and is currently doing is unifying us over truth. We can be different, but we have to be unified on truth. We can't have our own. And I, I, going into this, you know, there's a difference between unity and uniformity. We've been studying in our um, Bible study, our, our Gather Women's Ministry Bible study we've been doing on Wednesday nights. We're going through the book of Philippians. And one of the main themes in Philippians is unity. And we, we've been talking about unity versus uniformity and what unity really means. And so in this specifically, what I'm gonna talk about is unity over scripture, which probably can create the most disunity, ununity, whatever that word is, (laughs) on our interpretations of it, right? And I believe we're gonna come back to the central truth of of Jesus being revealed in all of scripture. I believe that God wants to ignite a love for his word among believers. Um, Maybe you've read through the Bible a hundred times 
and maybe you've ne you never have. But I believe that God is igniting inside of each of us a love for his word, a love for scripture, and a newness that he's bringing. What is cool about the Bible is that it doesn't ebb and flow with the demands of culture. It has remained the same. And the way it does that is what Hebrews 4.12 says. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It pierces through what is soul and spirit, what is joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. It is living. It's words. There are words in here. But they breathe life into us through the power of the Holy Spirit. You can read a scripture yesterday, the day before. And it's good, it's good, you know, obviously, it's good. You read it the next day and it absolutely changes your life because there was something in it you did not see before. That is the Holy Spirit breathing on the Word of God and that's what makes this book timeless, always relevant and everlasting is because it's not just the words, it's the Holy Spirit breathing life into us as we read what's in here. And he's igniting a love for that again in us and in you. And that's what I've been praying. Uh, turn to Jeremiah 36. We're going to get into a story here. Jeremiah, just going to give a little backstory. Jeremiah 36. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet because he is continually giving these words to the nations. If you don't do this, if you don't turn back to God, this is going to happen to you and it's bad. A, B, C, all bad. And he, these are the words that he's giving to the nations, right? Well, he's met with so much criticism. They hate him for it. They don't want to turn back. He's called the weeping prophet because he himself is grieving over these words that he has to give people. And then the response that he's getting back from them is not good. They want to kill him. He's not welcome in the temple. We can learn so much from Jeremiah. He wasn't interested in making a good impression. He only wanted to be obedient, but it was costing him, and that grieved him. Throughout Jeremiah, he's pleading with the Lord to spare his life because he's only being obedient and telling the people and telling the nations what God wants to tell, what God is asking him and telling him to communicate to these people and they want to kill him for it. So he's saying, God, you have to spare my life. I'm only being obedient to you. I need you to spare my life. And so God, yet again, in Jeremiah 36, gives him another word. This time it's a little bit different though. He tells Jeremiah to write down every single prophecy from King Josiah up until now, King Jehoiakim, who we're gonna talk about in this chapter. Now there were two, there was Jehoiakim, his older brother was king before him, and then Josiah. They were Josiah's two sons. And just a backstory on Josiah really quick. He was an incredible king. 
He came to power at the age of eight and he was loved the Lord. And uh, when he turned, I think it was 26, his 18th year of reign, they discovered the book of the law and the priest brought it to him. And when he read it, he tore his clothes in mourning and repentance at what he had heard. And he called the nations to fast. He called the nations back to repentance and in mourning because of the words that he had heard. And he was an incredible king. He died too early. And when he died, so did his convictions. And the people did not follow in what he was leading them to do previously. And so we get to his sons and they are wicked. They do not love the Lord. King Jehoiakim is who we're gonna be talking about in Jeremiah 36. Jeremiah uh, here's this word from the Lord that he's supposed to write down every single prophecy. So he gets his scribe, Baruch, and they begin to write down every single prophecy word for word on a scroll. But Jeremiah tells him, I'm not welcome in the temple right now. I'm not really liked. So you need to go. Read the scroll to the people on the day of fasting. There's gonna be tons of people there at the temple. They're gonna be um, in services and listening to teachings. So Baruch does that. They wait, he goes and reads the scroll, all the prophecies, and the people are amazed and terrified and word spreads. And there's a man named Micaiah who hears these words and he thinks that the king's officials need to hear what is being said because it's that important. So Micaiah does just that and it gets passed up the chain. We are gonna read in verse 21 in chapter, Jeremiah chapter 36. It says, the king sent Jehudi to get the scroll. Jehudi brought it from Elishama's room and read it to the king as all his officials stood by. It was late autumn and the king was in a winterized part of the palace sitting in front of a fire to keep warm. Each time Jehudi finished reading three or four columns, the king took a knife and cut off that section of the scroll. He then threw it into the fire section by section until the entire scroll was burned up. Verse 24, neither the king nor his attendants showed any signs of fear or repentance at what they heard. Even when Elnathan, Delia, and Gemariah begged the king not to burn the scroll, he wouldn't listen. Y'all, I think if you think about burning the Bible, it just, there's something in you that's like, no, I'm not gonna. That's a, that's a statement that he made. When you want to throw something in the fire, it's because you don't want it anymore. You don't need it. You don't want to look at it. It's trash. There's a reason he did that. The text on the scroll seemed to touch a nerve with the king, so much so that he felt the need to get rid of it forever. Now, this was before the days of mass printing. There was no click of a button and billions of people can see a blog. No social media. There was one scroll. And not only did he not want to look at it, he wanted to make sure that nobody else could either. And I think we can relate with King Jehoiakim here. The king heard it, he didn't like it, and he disposed of it. And it's way too easy for us as believers to do the exact same thing with this. We read it, struck a nerve, 
we don't like it. And we can choose to never look at that part of scripture ever again, or we can twist it to make it more comfortable, to make it easier to swallow. We can twist it to form it how we want. But this book was not meant to be convenient. That was not the purpose. We can't feed our souls on dessert and think we're being nourished when we were created to consume the whole meal. The whole meal. My son has some really strange eating habits. He's three, he's a toddler. They all have weird phases with food. And he's, he's my girls eat great. We've got three kids. He's the middle, only son, you know. He, they eat great. He's picky. I don't even, I think he likes the food. Sometimes he's just like, no, I'm not going to eat it. You, rebe- you know, rebellion, whatever. So we're working on it. He's got some weird eating habits. We can sit down at a meal. I make him a meal that I know he really likes. And it is like a fight to get him to eat one bite. And it's like, dude, you're hungry. Eat the food I put in front of you. And we have to set him up every time. We have to set him up. Son, this is the food. This is the dinner. We're going to eat this. We're not having snacks. After, if you're hungry, this is what you can eat. But that's it. That's this, this is the meal. Set him up, okay? N- without fail. Without fail. We get, we're cleaning up dinner. We're getting up from the table. Mom, dad, can I have some fruit snacks? No. You can't. We, did, we just talked to you about this. No. N-O. You may not have fruit snacks. You may have your dinner. And in my head, I'm like, that doesn't compute with me. You're hungry. There's a delicious meal you like in front of you. Why do you not eat it? And it's a fight sometimes to get him to eat the food that will actually nourish him. The meal is what will feed our souls and fill our hunger. Not just the dessert that we really want it's the meal. It's the whole thing. It's this is what will feed our hunger. If we can go back to the story of King Jehoiakim really quick, the king only wanted to ingest what tickled his ears and affirmed his way of life. But the word of God is supposed to be offensive to our way of life. It's supposed to hurt a little bit because Our way of life is supposed to look like the person of Jesus. And to our natural human souls, that's actually really difficult to hear. That's not easy to do. It requires a little bit of sacrifice sometimes. It stings a little occasionally. And the word is what reveals the things that are in our heart that are keeping us from being molded into the person of Jesus. It's a mirror. It shows us our innermost thoughts and desires. There's something in us, in each of us, that fights change. That fights having to do something that you've always done, do something different than you've always done. We've all experienced moments in e-married people where somebody comes up to you and tells you something 
That's true. But in that moment, you don't want to hear it, but it's true. And it hurts a little bit. Friends, spouses, children do that too. (laughs) Children are little mini, mini us's. They reveal a lot. We have to take a second, I don't know about you, but I often, if, you know, Jason's like telling me something that is true, but, you know, I don't, I'm not in, I don't want to hear that right now. I have to take a second. I have to take a second. So I don't, so I don't have the wrong response, but it's funny that it's so many times I, there's something in me that wants to fight the truth. It wants to fight having to do something different. It wants to fight the change. There's a push and a pull to resist receiving truth that will cause us to have to make a change. But listen, just because it's offensive doesn't mean that it's wrong. There is truth in it. And offense is actually not of the Lord. That's not a holy thing. It's okay to be offended. Like we can give ourselves permission to be, it it hurt a little bit, that offended me. Good. Now that's easy to say, I'm standing up here saying it. (laughs) Easy, no. Every principle in the word of God is meant to offend our natural inclination and mold it and make it look like the person of Jesus. Because this and Jesus are not two separate things. Jesus is the word. The word is Jesus. John 1:14. For the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us the same. If you love Jesus, we also love this too. The good, the bad, the things that hurt when we read it is good. It's Jesus. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all different jobs, but we have to have all of them together. There's not one that works without the other. This is, the sa- this is Jesus. There are two things I want to talk about really quickly. Two things that we can, we can learn from King Jehoiakim in Jeremiah chapter 36. He had... I would say some inward struggles, problem or two. And one very apparent one is pride. Two things that can keep our souls from being nourished, from being able to receive truth. And the first one is pride, which no brainer. We hear that all the time. Okay, that's not new, but, it's, but we deal with it all the time. We hear it all the time, but we deal with it all the time. Every single one of us has to take a step back sometimes when we hear something that we don't like and think, that hurt a little. Jehoiakim's pride told him that he could get rid of the truth simply by not looking at it. I didn't like what I just heard, so I'm going to pretend I didn't hear it. Pride told him he was more powerful than the words of the Lord. Our pride will never serve God. It will serve us until it destroys us. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. And this story is a tale as old as time. Let's just get rid of it. What I heard was offensive. 
So let's get rid of it. Something unbiblical and something being offensive are not the same thing. And it's easy to justify us staying the same and not being molded into saying that. I don't know if I agree with that. That's unbiblical. But un- being, something being unbiblical and something being offensive, they are not one and the same. And what differentiates between soul and spirit, what is in our head and what is of the spirit? The word. Hebrews 4.12. The word. The lesson King Jehoiakim should have known is that you can't get rid of truth. You can burn it. You can kill it. You can stuff it in a shoe. You can throw it in a lake or an ocean. But you can't stop truth from being true. You can only stop looking at it. Arrogance is the thing that will keep us from receiving. It will keep us from taking in and digesting the word and being able to receive truth. It keeps us from intimacy and communion with the Father. How do we know? How do we get to know God better? This, the word, and pride and arrogance and thinking we don't need this and thinking that it's not true if I don't look at it keeps us from communion with the Father as a son and daughter. Because pride will only produce more pride. It will never produce a repentant heart. Arrogance is not the seed that we plant when we want more depth and greater revelation because arrogance can't be taught. And we as believers have to be a people that are teachable above, man, a lot of other qualities. Teachability, allowing the Holy Spirit to transform form us from the inside out, allowing truth to come into our lives. Arrogance will keep us from knowing God better. And that's why we're here. Communion with the Father. And if we feel a little empty, and if we feel a little lost, which listen, yeah, that, yes, happened. There are times where we feel a little less empty than normal. There are times we may feel a little bit more confused than normal, but the Father is not the author of those things. And instead of running from Him, uh, arrog- arrogance will keep us running from Him, but we are to run to His throne room in communion and intimacy with Him. And if that's what you're feeling, the Word. The word is your answer in here. I'm not just talking about concepts. I'm talking about allowing the Holy Spirit to transform our minds through the word. The arrogance will keep us from that. I heard this quote. I can't take credit for it. It's really good. God is not out to hurt our pride. He's actually out to kill it because it keeps us from receiving his truth. 
It keeps our souls from being nourished. It keeps us from walking in freedom from that addiction. It keeps us from being equipped to do what he's called us to do. We can know we have a calling. We can know we, we can have a vision. But to be equipped, we have to be teachable. And we have to allow truth into our life. It keeps us living, arrogance keeps us living in self-pity. So we can never learn to walk in forgiveness, you know, from, with the people, from the people who hurt us. It keeps us from being free. Number two. Number two, second thing we can learn from King Jehoiakim. Uh, may surprise them. We can read this book. We can write down some really great quotes because there's some really good quotes in here that people quote all the time, not knowing it's from the word, right? But soul transformation happens when we apply the word to our life. It is the literal vision of Applied Life Leaders Academy. Applying the word, not just hearing it and listening to, to, listening to it, doing something about it. We can see from King Jehoiakim that our comfort level does not equal an open heart. I love what the scripture says. It's late autumn. It's cool and crisp outside. He's in a winterized part of the palace, sitting in a chair by the fire. And that's the most relatable thing. <laughs> the most. The king had everything he could possibly ever want at his disposal. And I'm not saying he didn't feel the, the, the weight of the mantle of leadership. I'm saying in that moment, his comfort level did not equal an open heart to receive truth. And that's the same with us. My favorite thing of all things in the world is to wake up to a quiet house, which is the most rare, but it's awesome sometimes. Wake up to a quiet house, sit in my part of the couch with my coffee and my blanket, and I sit and I'm ready to receive. Open journal, Bible, that is the most ideal situation for me. I am a homebody at heart, and I love being home. That's the most ideal for me. But just because I do that, that's awesome that I'm taking the time. Am I open to receive truth no matter how hard it is to hear? At the same time, we can come to church every single Sunday, every single Wednesday, and we can look incredible, and we can smell amazing, and we can come here, sit in our seat we always sit in, talk to the people we always talk to, we can sit down and we can hear the word, but are we willing to receive it? to actually do something about the truth that we hear. It's a lot easier said than done. We say, apply this word, apply it, apply it, apply it. That's really cool. That's difficult. When someone really hurt you and the word says, forgive them 70 times seven, 
You have to walk that out daily. That's difficult. That's not hard. That's out of our comfort zone. It's hard to apply patience when you've been waiting for that job or that baby or that spouse for what feels like forever and you feel lost. That's difficult. It's hard to hope when the weight of grief feels heavy. These things, we're talking about it, applying the word, that takes us outside of our comfort zone. And being uncomfortable is not being ungodly. And we have to differentiate. Comfort cannot be the goal in the life of a believer. Not only because we actually don't see that Jesus was, was he ever comfortable? I don't think so, I don't know. In the three years that he did ministry, no place to lay my head, people hunting him down, wanting to kill him, forming mobs, no one would leave him alone. He couldn't be alone. They followed him everywhere. That's really uncomfortable. When we look at the life of Jesus, I don't see a man who lived comfortably. I think the biggest thing that we can learn from King Jehoiakim is that comfort and peace are not the same thing. Comfort and peace are not the same. There is no comfort fruit of the Spirit. But there is peace. That is a fruit of the Spirit. This book is what exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. And applying this truth to our life is what will bring peace to our souls no matter how uncomfortable it is. It would have been uncomfortable for King Jehoiakim to be obedient, to repent and change his way of life, but it also would have saved it. It would have saved it. Comfort cannot be our God, and it cannot be the determining factor of whether or not we are obedient to what God tells us to do, or what the Holy Spirit shows us in the Word. And I think it's important to ask ourselves if we're making decisions in our life as if comfort is not just something that the Holy Spirit gives because the word does say that the Holy Spirit is the comforter. That is something he does for us. It is not a byproduct of living by the Spirit, but he does comfort us. That is a gift. But I think it's important to ask ourselves if we're living life as if comfort is a fruit of the Spirit and not just a gift of the Holy Spirit that he, that he gives us. Philippians 4, 8 through 9, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable. Think about the things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Then the God of peace will be with you. That's really easy to say again. Hard to do. To only think on what is true, gossip. To only think on what is honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about the things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned 
and received from me. Then the God of peace will be with you. That's good to know all these things. It's good to know how to think. Only when you practice it after receiving it do you have peace. How do we grow fruit? Not a farmer. I'm just elementary version. We plant a seed, you water it, you nurture it, you prune it. Peace is a byproduct of living by the Spirit. Comfort is actually never promised to us, except for when the Holy Spirit gives us supernatural comfort. But living a life by the Spirit will put, often put us in really uncomfortable, out of our comfort zone situations. But we will have peace. Peace is everlasting. Comfort is circumstantial. And it cannot determine whether or not we step out in obedience to the Lord because then we will actually never experience true peace. You want peace? We can't live by comfort. If you want peace, be obedient. You can't have both. You can't have comfort. You can't have peace and not be obedient. They go together. Put into practice what you have learned and received from me. Then the God of peace will be with you. Comfort makes a really poor God really poor God, because it comes and goes. It's a feeling. It's not the Lord. Peace is everlasting, and we will have it when we walk by the Spirit. The Word cannot be destroyed because the Word is a person. It's Jesus living and active inside of us, Jeremiah, we talked about how he would often, as I, as, as I wrap up, I want to close with the end of Jeremiah 36. Jeremiah often, we talked about, would plead with the Lord to spare his life because being obedient was costing him. And in Jeremiah 15, 16, he says, when I discovered your words, I devoured them. They are my joy and my heart's delight, for I bear your name, O Lord God of heaven's armies. And at the end of the story, in verse 32, Jeremiah takes another scroll, and the Lord tells him to do the exact same thing that he did before. Write down every prophecy back from Josiah. So he gets his scribe and they begin to write it down. But the very last thing that chapter 36 says is that the Lord gave them more words. Why? Because his pursuit of our hearts as sons and daughters is relentless and we can turn away from truth if we want to but he's a good father and he will continue to pursue you with more words we can look away from it he's patient but he is relentless 
And if you are a son or a daughter, he is pursuing you with more words. There is always more. We never run out. And he never runs out of, of words to give us, of things he wants to show us, of truths in here. It is endless. This is eternal. We will never know every single revelation there is to know in this book for the rest of our life. We could study it for the rest of our life and never scratch the surface. Why? Because God's power, because God's word is eternal. And so is his pursuit of us. They're not just do's and don'ts. They're not just reg regulations. It is the path to freedom. And it may sting, and it may sting. But it's the only way to live free. The only way. You want freedom? This, this is it. The life-giving, living, breathing word of God. The journey to a freer soul is through digesting the words in this book so he can mold us into who he wants us to be. Amen? Y'all stand. I'm gonna pray over you real quick. Thank you, Jesus, for your revelation. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the word. Thank you for your truth, God. No matter how hard it stings, help us to be teachable. Help us, God, to pursue you, to want to be intimate with you and commune with you. Help us, give us strength, Holy Spirit, when what we don't want is truth. Help us to look right at it because that's the only path to freedom. Thank you, Lord, for your truth. We love you in Jesus' name, amen. All right, y'all have a good week. Thank you for listening to the CMC podcast. If you'd like to watch our sermons live or looking for more information about our church, visit cmcchurch.com or follow us on Facebook at Christian Ministries Church.